This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Dominique Foxworth joins very soon for probably the best interview we've done, best long-form interview we've done here on this show in its young history. 45, 50 minutes of uncut Dominique. Uh, awesome. Uh, we got into modern defense, why defenses have hit their stride so far this year, some of the structural differences in defenses now, a little bit about the Dolphins. I mean, we, we touched on everything. Um, got into an argument about whether or not he was a better football player or broadcaster. Spoiler alert, I think Dominique is the best person talking about football on television who's played football. Um, but we get into it because he thinks he's a better player because he made the NFL. I don't know. You decide. Um, very quickly, I want to talk about the Jets here. I have two thoughts. Number one, Aaron Rodgers is not coming back. Number two, actually, I have three thoughts. Number two thought is the Rodgers conversation does a disservice to what this team is actually doing, which is they are playing good enough defense, and we talked about this in the Dominique segment, to legitimately, in an AFC that is weaker than we think, make the playoffs. They can make the playoffs. They're not I'm not I think the Browns are going to make the playoffs because of the defense. I think the Jets can make the playoffs because of the defense. That makes and this is thought number 3, the decision to double down and triple down on Zach Wilson look even worse. Because if they just had average quarterback play and even though they've gotten that maybe half the time the last few weeks, even if they had average above average quarterback play, um they would win 9, 10 games enough to win to get a wild card spot. And that's what they should be chasing after Aaron Rodgers goes down 40 seconds into the season. Um, but I think the focus on whether or not Rodgers can return, and I know why it's happening, and, and we've talked about it, why he's doing it, why the Jets are hyping that up, all that stuff. It's great. Why the media is hyping it up. Good for them. But it does a disservice, and it distracts from what this Jets team is, which is a legitimate, dominant front seven with some of the best players in football, with Bryce Huff, who is rushing the passer statistically at a better clip than anybody in football over the past two seasons. Um, we know about their investments there and 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 the studs. I mean, you talk about Celis Gardner didn't even play on Sunday, and they were still able to get after Jalen Hurts over 40% of the time. So this Jets team is legit. They're the type of team, and I talked about this in the open or the second segment on uh, on Sunday, the type of team nobody wants to see in January. I know that's always a cliche, but like it's real when you're the type of team that can wreck a quarterback and wreck a season. So uh, my one note, I know it's not going to happen. Talk less about Rodgers. Talk more about the Jets team that's on the field and can win any single Sunday. All right, here's Dominic. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Dominique Foxworth, former NFL star turned TV star. What are you better at, TV or football? (sighs) Um, Let's see. Well, I think probably football if you take into – um, consideration the number of professional football players and the number of people on TV. I think I was probably in a more elite class of professional football players than I am uh, TV people. What do you think? I disagree because I think, first of all, uh, I think you're one of the best people at talking football. And oh, I, gosh. I, I, I don't offend you. I don't offend you. No, 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 no. I don't offend you. Oh. You were not one of the best people playing defensive back in the early 2010s and late 2000s. That's just categorically false. Like, uh, I was a starting quarterback in NFL. There's only 64 of them. How many people were on Get Up? Well, Get Up is not the pinnacle of television. I'm thinking of all of people on television. All right. I mean, I I disagree. What are you best at? Um, I'm a, well, it's, it's funny is that I actually think I am a, a very good writer and mm. I actually don't write. Uh, I don't, no one will pay. No one has currently yeah. paid me to write. Cause yeah. I haven't asked. I haven't yeah. asked anybody to pay me to write in, in uh, well, I six mean, weeks. as unfortunate as it is, the, um, writing just doesn't make that much money. So I've noticed that's why I'm, that's why I'm yeah. talking to a microphone right now. How does it make you feel that I'm better than you at everything? Uh, I mean, well, I book you on the shows, oh. and then I am, I bask in, in the reflected glory here, and nobody notices that I'm bad at anything. You're not bad. You're great. It's just I happen to be better than you at all the things that well, no, are see, I have done. Up, but I have a competitive advantage because I'm a really good writer. But again, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. You wrote a piece uh, you a couple of years ago about the... Uh, about modern defense. I remember it was very good. And it maybe is evidence that you're better at writing than me. But we're not going to find out because neither of us write. There's no money in it. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, there's money in yep. screenwriting. Yeah, which you also do. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I will say uh, that to actually put, I actually do think you're one of those people talking about football. I don't think within the context of being a professional, I thought you were one of the best defensive backs. But the beauty is you take that experience and you put that into how good you are at tv and you have tv magic and you make get up the pinnacle of tv which i feel like is you know earlier you took a shot at get up by saying it wasn't the pinnacle of tv what is meet the press 60 minutes um well ozzy newsom would disagree with you on the first point and he knows a thing or two about um, (laughs) evaluating evaluating talent and hmm, the pinnacle of tv i mean i don't know it's like uh uh, succession, I guess. I don't know. Most recent, succession. uh, maybe so that. If you had, if you had a guest spot on succession, you'd be like, this is better than get up. Um, yeah. I, if I, I don't know about a guest spot. It depends. Like if I was a recurring oh, character. Yeah. Okay. I got or you. yeah, I would be like, yeah. Like a board I'm, member. If yeah. you were one of those board members who had to vote at the end. Or even no like, spoilers. like Sinai Lathan's character, or she was like a lawyer yeah. that popped in for a few episodes. Like. I mean, you can't have two. All right. Black well, it's off the air, so often. we can't. Re- <laughs> uh, we can't really. Uh, 
we can't really get that going because it's. I don't know what else. Well, there's nothing on TV right now. What is until because baseball? It it goes full circle because no, it's not. It's because nobody respects writers. It's why nothing's on TV right now. Right, 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 right. Whenever uh, I don't know, what's the pinnacle? What's your favorite TV show of all time? Like, I feel like we're past the age where it's it's like golden. Oh wait, wait, can I throw a theory? Golden Girls. Golden Girls is a great show. Golden Girls. Thank you for. I was gonna say gold. I was gonna say golden. Golden era Simpsons. Golden golden age Uh, era Simpsons. Good stuff. Um, Were you gonna say we're past the age of us like getting into new stuff? No, 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 no. Okay, that might be true also, but I feel like we're past the age where you can develop new favorites. Like I feel like there's like we're already formed in a point where you're like, oh, that's my. That's my thing right there. Whereas yeah, now yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird to be like 40 and be like, hey, yeah. I got a new thing. Yeah, um, I'd say that. I, a couple things about that. Number one, I have this theory that every NFL head coach stops developing any knowledge of the outside world as soon as they become a coordinator. <laughs> That's like their last memory. So you'll always, it'll always be like, like Kyle Shanahan naming his kid. Uh, after a Lil Wayne song, right? <laughs> like that's a great like Kyle Shanahan is going yeah. is never gonna has no idea who Ice Spice is. Ugh. He will never develop any sort of pop culture memory or data bank uh, database going forward ever again. But he loves Lil Wayne and will probably just listen to him till the day he dies. Like I think if you are in a high pressure environment, the moment that you, there's a threshold you cross in which you're like I can no longer watch television. We're not at that because we have easier jobs than those guys. Um, although you've been inside of it, but I'm just saying that there's a there's a threshold, especially people in football, where there's just no new information coming into the brand that's not football. Yeah, I mean I think that's fair, and I think that's like probably not just football coaches. So it might happen to football coaches more aggressively because they're you're right, they don't know about pop culture like general things and i think also some of them play it up because they want to appear yeah more football-y guy like i mean bill belichick knows what snap face is or insta face whatever he called it back in the day like he knows what social media is the best one of that was when he got an award from mit sloan this mit sloan conference mm-hmm. um and then like a couple months later he wanted so little to do with analytics that he called it the Northeastern Conference or whatever. He literally just got the school wrong just to take a shot at analytics, even though he's the most analytics guy. I mean, not anymore, but like yeah. for like a decade, he was Mr. Analytics, but he wanted us off the set. So it was always snap face and book chat and all it's of this funny stuff. That and then he, he just wants so badly. You He like gives off an image that he doesn't care about his image, but he is very, very deliberate about cultivating this image of dingy uh, football basement dweller who doesn't care about anything but football. Now that we're coming to the end of the Belichick era... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Let's cool it. Let's cool it. Cool it. Now that we are in the late stages of the Belichick era. Late stage Belichick? <laughs> yeah. Um, what? <laughs> do you have a favorite memory about going up against Belichick? Did you ha- did you, I like- do. Oh, ooh, ooh. yeah. It's, um, so my rookie year, I started uh, a bunch of games as a third round pick across from Champ Bailey. We were 13 and three um, play for the Denver Broncos. More evidence against your point where you continue to insult me about my abilities at cornerback. We had a lot what, of success before you launch into this. Before you Hold launch on. into this, I was looking at rock bottom theater like I was like, oh, what's the worst team who was on? You were only on good teams. Good. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I've never um, the last time I was on a losing team. Oh, actually, my my senior year in college, I think we only won five mm. games. And my sophomore year in more. high school. More to help out the team. You're right. I was too yeah. focused on making the, the jump. My <laughs> sophomore year in high school, we only won one game and followed that while winning eight games next season. But anyway, okay. the Belichick story. Um, we, because we were good at corner, we did zero blitzes the entire season. That was our strategy. Mm. We had trouble getting pressure with four. So we would do zero blitzes. We had this blitz bluff package where we'd show line up on third downs uh it would look like punt rush with a straight line across the line of scrimmage with the exception of, like the cornerbacks and anyone in coverage receivers were off the line no safety we'd either send everybody and play zero or um drop out the three guys who were high would drop into cover three and play cover three it was baffling people all season long um and mike shanahan was manufacturing offense with uh Jake Plummer, and we were really mm-hmm. good. So 13 and three. 
we were we played the Patriots. We had a bye. We had the Patriots, a division round of playoffs, and Belichick was the only person or the that team figured out how to beat us by motioning the slot receiver across. And so whoever was covering the slot receiver would run with them. And then this guy, the the man who, the slot receiver, would block the end man on the line of scrimmage. So they would get a two for one in that situation where he was blocking and we were covering him. So they would have enough time to run uh, more advanced routes. It didn't work. We beat them because <laughs> they did not have uh, a player that was capable of blocking that end man. But what it did mm. do was set us up. We had a home game against the Steelers to get to the Super Bowl. The Steelers did the exact same thing, but they're the mm. one team in football who had Heinz Ward, yep. who was a slot receiver who was capable of being a tackle because he was that ferocious a player. And we lost to the Steelers, which is a weird uh, story, but we lost to the Steelers because of Belichick's. I'm assuming that they saw what Belichick was doing and was like, hey, that works. We have a guy who can actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they stole wow. Belichick's strategy and beat us. You guys didn't make the Super Bowl because Belichick came up with a strategy that he himself could not run, but Heinz Ward could. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and so the point in that uh, that offense that or that um, strategy that yeah. we were doing was in zero coverage, it simplified things for us. It's like, all right, they have to throw it quick or they have to throw a go. So I'd read three-step, and if it wasn't three-step, I was pretty fast, so I'd race people down the field, and I was fine. So then when they did this blocking thing, they then had the normal amount of time. So that opened up everything else in the offense that they wanted without us having a safety. So they gave me specifically and our team in general. We had trouble scoring because that Steelers defense was good. Gave us the blues, and we got our ass kicked. And I dropped an interception in the first quarter that um, I don't mm. think about every day of yeah. my life. Huh, a little more ammo for for me on that one. Yeah. Um, all right. Great so coverage and man coverage, though. I mean, I had it covered, but mm. I dropped it. That's why I played yeah. quarterback well, and receivers. Yeah, yeah. Bunch of different. Bunch all right. And now I shared a story. I shared a story with you. I also host a podcast, so like I'm comfortable with asking you questions yeah. too. So my question for you is, what's your reason? Who was the coach that kept you from getting to your Super Bowl? Well, um, I've tried unsuccessfully mm. to connect with Bill Belichick. Um, <laughs> and un unsuccessfully is an understatement. And I tried so hard to impress him. And I, I this is like probably going to people, this probably doesn't track my personality, but I'm a pathetically hard worker. And so if I'm going to meet with someone, I do so much legwork on the front end that I'm so prepared. Like if I'm going to meet with Andy Reid, I will do, I will scour every single interview he's ever done to just make sure that he, I don't have him repeat stuff or, or I do, you know, Hey, there's a thread he never uh, closed the loop on. Let's talk about that. So before I was like a couple of days before I knew I was going to be in the vicinity of Belichick, um, I read his father's scouting book. I read, um, the um like the michael holly wrote three books about basically his his tree coaching tree gming tree and and some of the other stuff and i i read as much as i could about that i sat i sat at a chili's in west palm beach reading these books for like two hours mm. um i didn't finish all the books i just remember vividly remember being at a chili's and reading the michael holly books um and so as one does mm. and so i saw him and I wanted to ask him a question because Rich McKay, who I was probably uh, one of your bosses with, with the 2008 Atlanta Falcons, had said something about how the passing boom since 2012, the passing boom uh, was actually historically in line with some of the 1950s stats, 1960s stats, and that actually like the 70s, 80s, and 90s were the ones that were out of step. And he was doing that just to justify how wild the rules had gotten or whatever. And so I see him at the coach's breakfast and I'm like, all right. Here we go. Here comes my lifelong friendship with Bill Belichick. Wow. The payoff and, uh, on this is going to be amazing. I can tell. And uh, he said, um, I asked him about that. And I said, hey, can you just speak to what, what Rich said and whether or not you think the passing boom and the stats are in line, out of line? And he just looks at me and says, yeah, I don't know uh, what Rich is talking about. <laughs> and then... And then just, just stops looking at me. And so, and so then, so then I was like, All right, I'm going to wait him out. I'm going to wait him out. And so then uh, he starts walking the elevator a little bit after the coaching thing. And I, uh, I walk with him the whole time. 
and I'm just trying to like say anything. I mean, I'm talking about 45 seconds. Just say anything that's like just going to get him to remember me because I'm 25, whatever I am at that point. Um, after you turn 30, all, all years are fake. But um, uh, and then um, I'm just I go to the elevator and I almost I don't remember if I did or not. Like, I feel like I probably implanted some memory. I feel like I may have done like the blocking the elevator for five seconds thing just to say my name again, whatever. And I turn around and Scott Pioli and Thomas Dimitrov are standing there. And they are uproar, and they both know me at this point. They're yeah. both they're both uproariously laughing at me. Oh, <laughs> and like they like in a fun way. And I think Pioli, I think the way Pioli put it was, he's like, it was wa- like watching a like a, a kid in a rodeo, like just trying to stay on the bull, <laughs> just trying to stay on the bull, and. Uh, Mitrov was was in Atlanta. Also, I feel so sad. Yeah, you, you're like, I mean, I feel like you sound like like a pick me girl is like what they would the kids would call that. Where you're like, hey, you say whatever you can to get the yeah. the boys to think you're cool. I'm sorry, the yeah. boys didn't think you were cool. I think you're cool though. Well, no, well, Dimitrov and Pioli did think I was cool. No, not, I mean, see, you don't you don't, you don't understand <laughs> what laughing at you means. <laughs> no, it was a bill specific thing. I like both okay, those guys. Okay. They like me. Yes, they do now. I'm sure, but at the time, they were like, "Who's this pathetic loser that thought?" That- <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's not that's the opposite of cool. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know how long you've you felt cool, but as someone who's been cool <laughs> for a long time, I can tell you that when people are laughing at you. And believe you to be pathetic and desperate, turn on and then you're cool. But you're cool now. Uh, I will say I am pathetic and desperate, but I am cool. You're not pathetic and I'm, desperate anymore. Um, the jury's still out. I'd say. <laughs> hey, um, let's so let's go to the actual thing. We're in minute fifteen of this podcast. The thing I actually asked you to prep for. So I didn't prep, by the way. My, my <laughs> you only prep for get up the pinnacle of television. Exactly. Um, I have a new theory that defense is back because yards per completion down as much as it has ever been since the merger, um, red zone efficiency worse than it's ever been number of touchdowns way down, obviously with red zone efficiency that that goes hand in hand, 60% of unders are hitting this year, uh, which has not happened in the two thousands. Um, and I know we can never have like, steel curtain era type stuff we can never have uh baltimore bullies type of stuff but when i look at the browns having the third best yardage performance by a defense through five games in 50 years 52 first downs nobody who's played five games has given up uh within 40 of that the bucks have given up i think 93 first downs um the jets have turned Allen, Mahomes, and Hurts, the top three vote-getters in MVP last year, into, if you combine them, a quarterback with a 61 rating against anybody else, they have a 101 rating. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions within this particular genre, but I'll start here. Um, is this an anomaly, and will it's the pendulum swing back quicker than we think, quicker than I think? So you say that you have a theory, and I, I mean, I don't know – if you need to prove that in some way, I guess a, a theory is not a law, so you don't have to prove it. But I have a hard time, and I did. I was joking about not doing any research. The reason why I said I didn't do any research is because I couldn't come to a conclusion. Like I want to be able to give you the explanation that takes your theory from theory to like proof, and that's the hard thing. Is there's no simple explanation for what has happened, which six weeks. And the disparity and what we're accustomed to as far as numbers are concerned is enough time and enough of a gap in the efficiency and the points and the yards. There's enough for me to say that this is not randomness because my first instinct is to think over the course of the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years of football, offense has been trending upward. Like it's not a straight line. There's like kind of like the stock market. There are ups and downs, but over the course of the long stretch, it's been going upward. And all numbers have gone upward. Efficiencies on offense gone upward. Passes gone upward. Points gone upward. Quarterback plays gone up. All that is going up. And my thought is, when I first hear this, it's like, eh, relax. It's just the beginning of one season. We did this, was it last year or a couple of years ago, when we had the foolish take that drove me crazy that, hey, defenses are now using two safeties deep. <laughs> and, and people are really trotting this out like hey this is what's stifling Patrick Mahomes and uh and I think it was Joe Burrow this is the two safeties deep and I was just like you know what cover two 
is the second coverage <laughs> ever created in the history of football. I'm pretty sure that Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are all right with the second coverage. It's not yep. some new coverage. So I think, yes, it's real. It's hard for me to feel all that confident in, in it staying because I don't know why. And maybe it's – well. I, the thing is, you could look at a bunch of numbers. So offensive line play is is down, and I think the pressure yes. of quarterbacks has something to do with it. And people pre- presented the argument to me because they like to present this argument to me because I was president of the union and negotiated for um, less hitting in practice. They say, well, it's because they don't get to hit in practice anymore. Like, okay, well, you know what? That rule has been changed since I was president of the union, which was a decade or more ago. So, like, it's a, it's weird that it just took this long to to happen. And maybe it's health of the offensive line. Anyway, I'm rambling on your show, but the point well, is— Well, it's also the, the, college, the college game, too, is producing yeah. worse offensive linemen, right. and they can still hit in practice. Right. So, the point is, uh, I think it's real, but I don't think it's sustainable because I don't— And I I guess, yeah, I don't know why it's happening. I, I can't explain the, the single reason why— it doesn't, and I'm watch a lot of football. I don't see like some new scheme. Like it's not like someone just invented the bear or the forty six or the three four. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not that we've just invented some new scheme that no one can do anything with. The one thing that does feel relatively new, and it's not brand new, but in the last I don't know eight to nine years, it feels like the quality of pass rushers has mm, increased. Yes. And I remember thinking, like, there's one or two guys that are in the league that seem unblockable. It now feels like there's, like, 8 to 12 that are like, you better double-team him, you better chip him, or or he's going to destroy uh, your offensive day. So I have a couple questions off of that. Number one, the rise of, like, the unblockable pass rusher, to me, always felt like it was – inevitable only because if you're like six, seven, there's a whole bunch of guys who play basketball and then they like go to DePaul and they're like a four star. And then they make like $90,000 playing in like the Turkish second division after that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I was always like, why don't we, why don't you guys just gain 75 pounds and just start playing for Ohio state? Like this is like, I always felt like that type of body, um, if you if if my kid by the grace of God grows up to be like six seven and he's like I want to hoop I'm like I don't I don't think that's let's get you let's get you some corn and let's get you in in, in Iowa's defense um, and so uh, <laughs> what nothing Iowa's defense Iowa's happen. defense is great no I mean it's a it's the perfect defense to choose that's all I just want him to be a uh, uber athletic like hand in the dirt or outside linebacker um, and Phil Parker is ready, ready to, to mold him. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Um, and so I, I guess the question is like, can you, is, is this why, is it like sports efficiency that with there's all these unblockable Uber athletes, are we better at uh, identifying them? Are that like, I, I don't know if there's a, a freakonomics answer here, but like, it just seems like, and I would say also say freakish tight ends on the, on the other side of the ball. Like it just yeah. feels like a bunch of basketball players are now becoming Uber athletes in football. I remember, um, was it, it was the beginning of last season where I, I kind of, as again, we don't write anymore, so I didn't write it, but it would have been a piece I wrote if I, if I wrote and I just shopped it around the podcast circuit. But talking about how corners today, <laughs> yeah, that uh, the we're in the golden age of cornerbacks. And the argument that I made was not that these cornerbacks are like so much better than we were or the cornerbacks of yesteryear, but it was that the rules of the game have been modified and they were constantly tweaking them like the last, I don't know, for not not recently, but for the time when I was in the league and and prior to that, they were tweaking the rules. And it was like the Belichick uh, defense was too aggressive downfield. They changed that. Then they took more pressure off of the quarterbacks. They protected quarterbacks. And they got tighter on downfield pass interference. And so I remember being in the league and feeling like the game was different than the one I grew up playing. And my yes. theory was these are kids who grew up playing 
modern football. And I, I've mm-hmm. seen them be able to play the back shoulder fade in a way that we just kind of had to choose. Like Either I'm going to guard the back shoulder or I'm going to go upfield. Whereas they kind of do this side saddle technique. So anyway, long story short, I think that could be an argument also is that we're finally getting to the point where the value of the pass rusher is so high and the the value of the cornerback is so high and the game has been consistent long enough that you are getting guys who are born to play defense in this way and have developed to play defense in this league. And they have caught up to uh, the way that the game is being played now and the type of athletes, like you mentioned. Yeah. So you're six, three to six, seven, you have a slim chance of going to the NBA, but if you can get yourself up to 275, you have a high ass chance of getting college paid for and getting to the NFL. And you're more likely to find somebody like uh, Miles Garrett, who great basketball player, NBA great quality, basketball player. No NFL quality, maybe the best player in all of football on defense. The modern defense thing is really fascinating to me because I remember at the beginning of the passing boom, we talked to Andrew Lux, high school coach. Now it's not a name drop. I, it was really easy to get him on the phone. Um, and he was basically just like, think about it was that El- Andrew Lux, I think his name's Elliot something. Elliot, I don't remember. Elliot Allen. Um, and so he's in Texas. He's talking about the Texas quarterback. And he was saying, think about all the great athletes who came to come from Texas now, right? Including Miles Garrett. But he was like, think about the seven on seven circuit. What is it? It's quarterbacks throwing against tight man-to-man coverage over and over and over again for nine months out of the year. And then the other three months, they actually play high school football and they have pads on. So it's a lot of fast guys. It's a lot of good route runners. I mean, you got your Mike Evans of the world where it's just like, he's just running go routes and and whatever for his entire life until he gets to Texas A&M. Like it just feels like that generation, which came of age after the passing boom, it's seven on sevens. It's private workouts. We don't even talk about that stuff. Going to Arizona and being able to do that stuff and and working out together, you know, best on best for for months out of the year. It just feels like this is this is modern football in its final form with some of these athletes. Yeah, I, I think you just rephrased the similar thing and inc- included everyone else, but I don't know why. <sighs> the thing that I have hard time understanding is why it has not been as gradual if we're to accept that this is a new normal why does it feel like it happened in a flash like this season is when it's happening that feels like something that like we would see trends change and maybe it and maybe we maybe this is just the tipping point and we'll start to see it kind of change slowly over the course of time but mm, they'll probably change the rules before it gets there because they hate defense. i agree yes They'll nerf this somehow. But I, I think mm. the part of it is that... You're young. Gamer terms? Nerf it? I like that. No, no, that's from Formula One. Oh, that's a, ner- that's a gamer yeah, term. They nerf, they nerf cars. No, that's a gamer term they nerf that cars. Formula One stole. <laughs> they, they nerf uh, weapons in Call of Duty. Let me tell you something. You're trying to get the Europeans to fight the gamers, and I'm staying out of it because I'm neither <laughs> of those things. Um, two, two people's asses I would have no problem whooping. Gamers and Europeans. <laughs> What about FIFA Twitch guys? That's one of the same. Uh, hey, um, America, damn it. So, so um, it's it's interesting, but like part of it is that like I saw a stat from Jalen Hurts yesterday, and I, I bet every quarterback is like this, but except probably Mahomes. But Hurts is three and seven when he's pressured over forty percent of the time, twenty five and five when he's not, and. I, I you say the rules thing or whatever, but it's like, man, if you're getting pressure 40% of the time like the Jets did on Sunday, you're just gonna win. And like even Hurts when it felt like he was he was rushing throws, he was late on throws, he was uncomfortable, he was seeing ghosts. I know that like Sam Darnold went went viral a couple of years ago for saying he sees ghosts. Like any quarterback who gets the crap knocked out of him for 58 minutes and 59th minute is going to, to see ghosts. Um, they don't want to get hit anymore. And so it just seems like if you can get a nasty pass rush and a nasty front seven, like they just didn't have their top two cornerbacks. If you can just get that, even with the Browns the other day, like Dalvin Tomlinson coming through the middle and, you know, Miles Garrett didn't even have to make the play. Like it just seems like if you've got a nasty front seven, everything else can work itself out afterwards. Yeah. Cornerbacks don't matter, nor do safeties. Uh, you're right. I would push back on one thing. That's true. I think having the broad conversation is difficult for me to zero in on specific situations, but I have a hard time accepting 
what you said about the Eagles game because I actually watched and rewatched that game and it's a specific game and the front seven matters. The pressure on Hertz matters, but honestly, the pressure on Hertz, is, at least to me, it felt like less the less because the offensive line was getting their ass whooped, but more because Jalen Hurts likes to hold on to the ball and he's right. accustomed to that offensive line being incredible. So right. that is not having a, a great front seven. Not to say that they don't; they certainly do. And I would also say that, and I'm not sure that the stats would back this up, but I I feel like they could. That from my eye test, the Eagles didn't get dominated. They didn't have a problem moving the ball. They didn't have a problem finding open people. There were turnovers. There was that Goddard interception that was fluky as hell. There was a fumble. There was the uh, the hit that caused an interception, which, yeah, you can give that to the defense. There were two drop passes from uh, from Smith. Like, it felt like that did not feel like an example of the Jets' defense being dominant as much as it felt like an example of the Jets being a very good defense and an opportunistic defense, but the Eagles not converting in the red zone and making key mistakes. And then there's that last interception at the end of the game, which like they still would have won if they would have just punted it on third down to Zach Wilson and dared him to lead them on a two minute drive. Hey, you're a better TV guy than cornerback. Just so you know, because that was, that was phenomenal. Does that upset you? This isn't on TV. I'm a better, I mean, it's, it could be on YouTube. It's on the ESPN NFL uh, YouTube page. Uh-uh. I can, there's a TV right behind this computer, and I can put it on there tomorrow. I'm a better then podcaster, what? I guess. Actually, I'm um, good at a lot of things. I, I, I agree, um, except writing, because you won't do it. So the best <laughs> ability is availability, and if you don't want to write, you've seeded that ground. Hey, uh, so um, one more question about modern defense. Is there a scheme – that fits these athletes. Like everyone talks about Jim Schwartz and it's like, Oh, well of course let's put miles Garrett one-on-one with the tackle. Like that's easier said than done. Um, and I guess my question is like, is there a strategy where it's like, all right, we got all these great athletes. They know how to play modern defense. Let's let them do blank. Yeah. I think it's, um, defense is less talked about, but I don't think it's any, I mean, it's, just as prevalent as offense as far as time on the field and importance to the game. But we talk often about building schemes around quarterbacks or building schemes mm-hmm. around offensive players. Like, that's the true marvel of what uh, Shanahan has been able to do is, like, he has found an ability to build schemes around these unique players. And the more unique your player is and the more creative your coach is, the more difficult your scheme is to stop. So obviously all the Shanahan stuff with Debo before they went and got McCaffrey, like Debo Samuel is one of a kind player. And he's, and he's the type of player that's like a lot of coaches wouldn't have any clue what to do with him. And like, all right, he's not receiver enough to be receiver. He's not running back enough to be running back. So why don't we create a position? And then he's incredibly valuable. So I think that I would apply the same logic to, uh, to the defensive side of the ball is yeah. When you have the right players, you can play just about any style. As long as your style is uh, leans on the value of the players that you have. And you can see that like the Eagles last year, defense was great. It's very different than what the Browns are doing. And they, the Eagles didn't have a guy, a single guy, despite the numbers Reddick put up, they didn't have a single guy as good as miles Garrett, but they, had waves of them and they want to play zone in behind them with uh, older, smart, opportunistic defensive backs. It's very different from like the, the blitz bluff thing we were doing back in, in a very Wink Martindale style where I guess he doesn't do that much anymore, but it's like, look, high variance. We got man coverage guys and we don't have a dominant pass rusher. Let's get after the ass and dare them to, to challenge our guys in man. That was beautiful. Thank you. A couple questions before we get to badasses and Statue of Limitations Theater and you torch all your old teammates. All right. Um, you mentioned the motion at the very beginning about uh, what the Patriots did and what Heinz Ward eventually did. Is this is motion becoming like what you said about cover two earlier where it's like, OK, like the reason the Dolphins are successful I'm sure motion has a lot to do with it and it does destabilize the defense, but they also have the fastest guys on the planet <laughs> yeah. and that probably helps too. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Mike McDaniel. He's great. He's been great. 
The motion's great. The scheme is good. But Very good. I would say that what's most effective about this team, aside from the quarterback's accuracy, the most effective thing about this team offensively is that they were put in a bad situation where they had a quarterback, they had receivers who were really fast, and a quarterback that they can't let get touched. And the result of those constraints was they had to figure out ways to get deep down the field quick enough so that the quarterback does not get touched. I think the result of that is the offense that was created because the necessity of it being there. But I would say, aside from that, the general philosophy of this offense is keep on testing them. It's like like we have a lot of fast guys. We have a lot of guys that can go to the crib. You're going to have, we're going to put a guy in space or not even in space. He could be covered, but we're going to get the ball to this guy where he has one guy to beat as many times as possible. And you guys are not going to be able to get him down. If you notice that they have so many, I, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'd pretty, I'm pretty certain that 20-yard plays, 30-yard plays, 40-yard yeah. plays, the Dolphins yeah, got the most of them. And when you watch it, it's, it's rarely like them running naked where we, we've gotten to feel like we expect from like a Shanahan-style offense. It's them breaking a tackle or it's them outrunning an angle. And what they're doing is not like confusing people and destroying coverages and causing coverage busts as much as they're like, all right, well, we'll hand it off to a chain and, uh, and he has one person to beat. He'll outrun the angle. Yep. Touchdown. Oh, yep. he won't outrun the angle four times in a row, but eventually he's going to outrun the angle. We're going to throw it over a deep over to Tyreek Hill. And yeah, there's a guy covering him and a safety there. Eh, missed tackle, gone to the house. So like, it's not anything that other coaches can't create. They just keep doing it and keep testing you. And I think it's a credit to Mike McDaniel, obviously, but it's also a credit to Tua's accuracy as they catch him in stride and they challenge people. This would be a great written piece. Hey, yeah. um, let's do uh, let's do Statue Locations Theater. <laughs> it's more than that. Nobody reads. I mean, there's like less than 100, more than 30. <laughs> Readers in America. I, I do think it's funny that like, as I was exploring different career options over the past six months, I would say, at no point did writing come up. Mm-mm. Not once did anybody. Yeah, when I first, I met with that was when I first. Every single network. When I f- first left the NBA Players Association, I started writing for fun and sending it, well, not for fun, but sending it to places to get published. And then ESPN saw some of the writing. I was like, why don't you come write for us? And so I started writing for them. And then it got the contract time. I was like, why don't you work for us? And uh, contract time. And I was like, all right. Like this is what we pay writers. This is what we pay people who are on TV and radio. I was like, this is back when radio was a thing. I was like, hey, sure. Mike and Mike, here I come. Let me get a let me get a, <laughs> me get a guest spot, Greeny. <laughs> I am not working for those writer peanuts. Anyway, you were doing uh, uh, what'd you call it? Statue of Limitations Theater. Sorry. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Um, if you have another story you want to be teed up on, that's fine. But again, we, I do a rock bottom theater and we had uh, Mitchell Schwartz and TJ Ward who were both on the 2013 Browns over the past two weeks. They both had great Brown stories. But as I said earlier, you won every place you went because you're just a winner. You're a culture guy. Uh-huh. Um, that's why you're so good on TV. Um, but uh, I want to talk about those Ravens teams because I feel like every single time I hear a story about Ed Reed or Ray Lewis or, I mean, there was just like 10 of those guys on that team. It, every story seems fake to me, and 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 yet they're real. Um, give me a story that you think is emblematic of that era, okay. that team, that culture. No problem. That's good. Um, there are lots of stories that I will not tell and I will never tell, and that's just the way it is. And, and Who are most of those stories about? All right, so this is the story I'm going to tell. And okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will not tell you who those stories are about. I won't give you anything to dig on because, as wow. we mentioned, you pro. are relentless and pathetic, and you will get to the bottom of that story. Desperate. desperate. <laughs> oh, desperate. desperate. My pathetic. bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, so here's an emblematic story for you. We would do, uh, you, someone who prepares endlessly, probably have already heard this story because it's a story I've told before, but we do two-minute drill in practice at the end of, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday every week. And it's just the defense trying to stop the offense in some sort of two-minute drive situation. And one time, actually it was more than one time, I saw um, Joe Flacco completed a, completed a pass and they ran up to get ready to spike the ball. Ed Reed creeps up to the line of scrimmage. Joe Flacco snaps it and steps back and spikes the ball. Ed Reed dives under the center's leg to try to catch the spike and hits his hand. So you would like to know something about Ed Reed being a crazy, creative, lunatic competitor. This man was practicing to see if it was possible to intercept a spiked pass. So I think you want to hear something about culture. You want to hear something about uh, personality of a team and of a person. This man was an absolute maniac when it came to winning, but it didn't show in the way that he behaved. Like he would speak in a way that was civilized and act in a way that seemed like he was of reasonable mind and thought process. But he also, and like he never did that in game. It never worked, but I think it's emblematic of He's like, man, any, I'll try anything. And it is also like emblematic of his style of play where I, yeah. I, I remember watching film on that defense before I came there. When I signed there, before I came there watching film and I saw Ed in cover two, uh, deep half safety intercept a slant. And why the hell would you do that? And Ed, <laughs> yeah, Ed it would be willing to try that. And so in Ed's mind, he's, yeah. he's smarter than the quarterback. So he sees, all right, quarterback two by two, quarterback under center, um, quarterback hard counts us. We're in cover two. He knows that the quarterback recognizes one of the weaknesses in cover two because the inside linebacker, the hook player is going to be inside the slot receiver and the corner is going to be outside the the number one receiver, which means that there should be a big hole for a slant in there and the safety is going to be deep. So Ed's like, all right, I know this. So he knows this. He knows that I know this. So he thinks that I'm not going to steal this and he thinks this is the safest thing he can do. He's not even going to read it. Eh. I'll do it anyway, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to intercept it. Our defense is going to be incredibly compromised. However, it's not actually compromised because I've thought through all of this situation to the point. So, like, that's an example of Ed being Ed. I do want to fact check you. You said that Ed Reed was in uh, cover two, and cover two was invented three years ago. (laughs) Well done, sir. Just go go back to the tape on that one. Um, all right, we're going to do badasses, um, and maybe the answer is Ed Reed, and you can just refer back to the story, but if there's somebody else, it, the most badass person you've ever played with, and it could be any level of football, it could be someone on the uh, the damn Orange Bowl, Maryland oh, Terrapins, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, I was at that, Spurrier's last game, you guys sent Spurrier into retirement. Yeah, we. But anyway, it could also be somebody in the, in the National easy. Football League. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was that. T- it was that ten zero lead that you guys yeah, had. Yeah, we did. We the, was it fourteen points or ten? I don't remember. Man. It was definitely yeah. two scores. Yeah, there was a pick six there at the beginning. I remember. I we got run out of the OB. It was a bad. No, didn't luck. it? Didn't it? Uh, it was that. Um, Rex Grossman didn't play the first quarter. If I'm not mistaken. Let's talk about how we beat the dog out of Tennessee in the Peach Bowl the next year. Let's talk about that. Or how we how that. we blew out West Virginia in the Gator Bowl the final year. Let's talk about those. I, I was at that game, too. Good. Pac-Man Jones on the other team. Yeah, he was. And um, I remember that. Yeah, and Chris Henry. And um, what was the quarterback? I can't remember. Not Pat White. I'm not oh, that God. young. Somebody else. No, no, no. Oh, uh, God. Anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, met, I, don't... I, met, I, met, I met I met Chris Henry at a Magic game when he was suspended. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was not a nice guy on the field. He was one of those ferocious players. But his son, apparently, awesome athlete, RIP, Chris Henry. And and uh, Pac-Man Jones is his uh, guardian. Yep. Great. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. uh, Someone tried to make a movie out of my tweet. I tweeted that, and someone asked me if they could make a significant person who does significant things. is like, can we option this tweet? And I was like, I'm not really sure 
how you want me to go about this. And then they never followed up with me. <laughs> yeah, pretty, I was like, I was like, I'm happy to like try to figure this out. Yeah, I'm pretty but, sure you then, guys need to call Pac-Man. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, I, I'm not, they were like, they literally were like, can we option your tweet? And I was like, uh, I just took this from like a college football recruiting site. So I can't imagine. I don't, I listen, I am all for getting money that I don't deserve. <laughs> I mean, that's been my whole career, but I was just kind of like, I don't know about this one, guys. Oh, uh, it's going to be a real, be a real bad like, look. <laughs> literally, they were like, we'll let you know either way in 24 hours. That was a year ago. I've never heard from them again. <laughs> um, all right. Badass. I don't know. <laughs> It's tough. Oh, great, great. Uh, I mean, it's just like, I, I guess defining badass is hard. It's just like, I, there's so many people I play with, like Terrell Suggs, uh, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. Yeah. Al Wilson is a name that you, speaking of Tennessee, it's a oh. name that you probably wouldn't um, remember, but he was the linebacker and defensive captain of, of course. those three years I spent in Denver, and he was animal and he was incredibly kind to us off the field, but ferocious in like a classic linebacker sense. Um, I played with John Lynch and and Champ Bailey, like also badasses. So I'm just gonna say names. How about that? Haloti Nada, another sweetheart who is also Haloti Nada is already in this because badass. of TJ Ward two weeks ago. He said that Haloti Nada is the one guy. TJ said that no one wanted anything to do with on the field. No extracurricular stuff. It was just like, yes, sir, Mister Nada. He, we're good. He's one of those guys. He was one of the first guys that was like enormous and athletic. Yeah, that yeah. I remember like being like a precursor to like Jalen Carter type style where it's like, oh no, they don't make him like that. He's like a a, a unique human being where he would be playing just as explosive as our tight ends, but 300 and I don't know, 20, 30 pounds. It was impressive. So yeah, there's, I just said a bunch of names. Is that enough for you? Good. Do you know, no, I, you know who I'm going to give badasses to? Who? Our mutual friend Mina Kimes. Oh, yeah, she is a badass. Had a baby. That's pretty. She's badass. badass. She had a baby. She's sending me photos of her son. I don't know if her, the name is public, but uh, in football, yeah, we, you can tell both her my she, son she and her son are wearing uh, football onesies. Nice. Teddy's gonna be a football for Halloween, and I dressed him up in it yesterday. He looks ridiculous. It's amazing. He's a particularly fat baby, so I decided he would be a, a ball type of shape. Yeah. I mean, I think oh, that there you go. Uh, maybe I'm breaking news here, Mina. I apologize, but I think she's comfortable with people knowing her son's name is Marshawn Lynch Sylvester. I thought you were going to say Dominique. <laughs> nah, that would have been real weird. Like, uh, it's like not my junior. I got three kids of my own. I don't Marshawn. Marshawn. Speaking of things that I'm good at, Marshawn. <laughs> Hey, uh, uh, Marshawn Sylvester, we're putting into badasses. Um, hey, um, have you been on in media longer than your NFL career? Probably. Yes. Yeah, I would think so. So there you go. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define a career. I became professional by your standards when I got to the NFL, but I mean, I started working towards being a professional when I was eight, so... I was a professional football player when we lost to the Winston-Salem Tiny Vikings at the Super Bowl in Disney World when I was 12 years old. So that was the at that at the player. Wide World of Sports. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we. You got to bring it. You yeah. got to bring it to the Wide World of Sports. It was tough. It was tough. We got our ass kicked by them. They were really good. Apparently, they were perennial competitors. But we got there from Randallstown, Maryland. Um, I have a couple questions before we go. Number one, you mentioned this, like when. Was there someone who came to you when you're like 12 years old and they're like, you're probably going to reach the pinnacle of the sport? No. No. Of course not. You everyone says on your own. Everyone says the opposite. Because no, but I'm just saying like you were obviously the best player. Like when was the first time you were not the best player on, on a field? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like in high school because of age gaps, like I, when I was a sophomore sure. like that, but um, I'm in college probably when I got to college. Right. Yeah. That was probably the first time. But at no point were you like, this is a little weird. Shouldn't somebody be better than me? See, the thing, then- the thing is you, you're born into it kind of. So like the, the, 
when all of us were young boys, us sports fans, we probably fantasized sure. about being an NFL and thought we were, or being a professional athlete of some kind, and right. thought we were going to be. So you all, when you are three, four, five, six years old, your your world is small enough that you think that's a realistic possibility. And at some point, something happens that makes you realize it's not a realistic possibility. For me, that never happened. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. like I was the best kid in my elementary at sports. Right. Then I got to high school and or got to middle school and I was not the best basketball player, but I still was like amongst the best athletes. Then I get to high school. I'm the best player. Then I get to college. And like, there's no, there's no slap in the face moment where it's like, oh, actually, you're not that good. I mean, everyone's like. So it was just the absence of that moment. It was never like someone saying to you like, hey, by the way, you should probably start preparing for like no, a, no, no, no. athlete track. I always wanted to. I always thought I was on that track. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. So like but if you, you imagine. waiting around it, for your dreams to be crushed and it never happened. I wasn't waiting to be crushed. It just didn't cross my mind that it could be crushed. So people would say like, you're too small or like, think of the odds. Oh, yeah. Think of the odds. And so like, it was always somebody saying something like that. But then I would go out and play football and I was better than everybody. So it was hard. If you, right. I'm sure you can imagine going through this similar situation where it's like, whatever it is that you think has never truly been questioned or challenged, it's hard to unthink it. So it's like a weird thing. For me to, when people ask a question like that, like, I don't know, I was, I was always kind of good. Then I get to whatever, and then I, was I just, become a bad NFL player. I was player, just trying to get on, um, not a bad NFL player, an NFL player. Um, I just wanted to be on Get Up the whole time. No, something somewhere <laughs> happened to me where I was actually really good, and this sounds so funny, and people are going to laugh at it, but I played ice hockey in Florida. And I was really good because I didn't. I started skating really early right. and like hockey is one of the sports where it's like, if you have, there's a barrier to entry and right. if like you can skate well, you're going to be good enough. I was also left-handed. So the bad Ooh. goalies had no idea what to do with me. And so by the time I'm like 12 or 13, and this is not some crazy fantasy because a couple of the uh, guys I ended up playing with ended up getting drafted or playing, you know, career minor leaguer type stuff. And I was, I was in their ballpark, but then I went to Michigan hockey camp, university oh. of Michigan hockey oh. camp when I was 13 years old. And I have never like I don't think I had like a meltdown. Yeah. But I just remember being like like exactly what you're describing not happening. Yeah. It happened all at once. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, not only are these guys better than me, but they're significantly bigger than me. They're smarter about the game than yeah. me. They know more about the game than me, which in Florida was not happening to me because it was ice hockey. It was just like all at once. I was like, well, that's uh that's Camp. it for me, guys. That I'm sorry, that's a very yeah. sad story, but it puts you on your um your super villain track to become the person that you are today. Congratulations. <laughs> super villain origin story. Um, <laughs> I forgotten. Uh, I did go to art monk football camp, which was a full, Ooh. full pad football camp. And it was divided by age up until that point. I only played divided by weight. And so this was divided by age. So then, and I was a running back. So then I played running back against, I guess they were 12 year olds, 12, 13 year olds who, were enormous and aggressive and they grade you. I still have my like report card. They gave me the report card and it was like very like negative. I mean, not negative, but it was like, you're yeah, good luck. Focus on some other stuff. That was, I, I don't know. I guess it's the, um, it's the, the brain of an athlete, but I, that didn't deter me. It was like, all right, cool. Then I went to other football camps. Wait, Art, was, was Art Monk being like, this guy doesn't have it? <laughs> I mean, it was Art Monk football camp. So I took a picture with him, but he didn't grade me. They had a bunch of other coaches that were there. And it was like, yeah, this guy, this guy ain't it. Wow. That was your, that was your Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like didn't that? make varsity. I guess, Story. but I forgot it until just now. But I um until I mentioned that Red Berenson's hockey camp was traumatic for me. Yeah, and then I started thinking about the camps that I went to. I remember going to Penn State's football camp, going to uh, who else? Uh, Maryland's football camp. Like older, once you're in high yeah, school yeah, and stuff, yeah. going to those camps, and and then they treat you special when you run fast, and that's kind of weird. But yeah, Art Monk didn't that's, believe in me. That's as good a place to leave it as any. The Dominique Foxworth Show is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, the ESPN YouTube page, and where else. We can see you on Get Up. Mm, we don't need to promote that. Just promote the stuff that I'm on. I don't care about all that other stuff. Greeny gets all the money from Get Up. Uh, I got to get my pod numbers up so I can use this as some negotiating leverage. So, yeah, rate, review. You can start writing again. Um, Ooh, no thanks. I might write again. I might, uh, like... 
I don't know. The sad thing is writing is so chance. good for your, I mean, I can't it's speak for anybody so else. It's so great. good for your brain is I feel like Are my so takes great. were smarter and better back when yeah. I wrote more consistently, but I can't discipline myself to write for sure. something that's not going to be published. And like, I feel like I'm worse at everything else because I don't write, but oh well. I don't want to speak for the listener, but I, I do agree that your takes used to be better. Um, all right. Thank you so much for coming on. I do not, I'm not BSing you. I'm not kissing your ass. I, I actually think you are the best person to talk about football uh, on TV in the ex-player genre. All right. Thanks for that qualifier at the end. No, I didn't. I, I, there, that's actually more of a, like, there are very few people. I'm like, I got to see this guy's opinion. Okay. I got to see this guy's opinion. Okay. And you're, what? Okay. No. All right. I needed that motivation. Thanks. That's when I knew it was personal. <laughs> Me an art monk? You and Art Monk are on my <laughs> list. Haters. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Let's see you, friend.